Y'all may be seated. And after that, I'm raring to go. What about y'all? I want to do that all again. This morning, we'll be there in just a couple moments. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, shortly. During World War II, there were... This kind of had had been going on before World War II, but during World War II, there was this specific group that basically they were responsible for creating false atmospheres. By that I mean they basically would go through and they were called the Ghost Army. It was a group of approximately 1,100 soldiers all total, but what they used to do is they would set up mock headquarters throughout the campaign in World War II because they wanted to convince the German army that basically we had more troops on ground than what we actually did. The way that they did it was very fascinating. They used to do it really, they they did it as far as visually, they would do it with inflatable tanks. They would do it with inflatable, not infantry, but with uh, with tanks and with different mortars and, and cannons and things like that, but they were all inflatable. They were, they were put basically held together with air compressors. And they would go to such levels that they would have sounds, that they would put the ambient sounds of the battle all in, in, embedded in this group. That way, if any of the German soldiers would come up or any other soldiers that would come up who were against them, that they would hear the sound of many more men that were actually there. So they had the the sounds, and then they went so far as to actually send out false radio signals and had basically people dressed up as generals throughout the campaign who used to drive into this this place where the the mock headquarters was set up that was put together with 1,100 people. They performed over over 20 total false atmospheres, as they called it. And the purpose was this. They wanted the enemy to think that they were bigger than they actually were. They wanted the enemy to think that they were more involved than they actually were. What's interesting about that this morning is I want you all to know that there's, there's a battle waging right here in this place. That there's a battle waging right here in your heart. There's a battle waging in your mind. And if we treat the battle that rages within us as if it is an inflatable army, we shall be defeated. If we treat it like that, we treat it like it's powerless. Because the enemy that we face, and that we're going to study about this morning, is much bigger than what we give him credit for. He's much more powerful than what we give him credit for. And he's more involved in what we give him credit for. He's not God, but he's at work. He doesn't have the power of God. But he has a battle waging on every one of our hearts. And we would say that this this battle, this war that is raging within us, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you, as soon as I say that there's a war waging and that we are right in the middle of it, 
you, something pops into your mind and it just blinks and you're like, I know what that is. Right now, it's an ailing parent or it's, it's my kids are out of church or I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. Sometimes it's blatantly obvious, but sometimes Satan, he's such a deceiver that he comes at us from all different angles that it's not that obvious. So this morning, the thing that we need to remind ourselves is that there is a war raging and you and I are right in the middle of it and it's not an inflatable army it's a powerful army it's not more powerful than God but it's powerful and if we turn a blind eye to it we will be defeated so we're going to progress this morning before we get to our scripture and this scripture doesn't necessarily talk about the enemy as much as we need to so we need to lay some groundwork first To win the war that is raging, we must first know who our enemy is. I want to tell you this. The enemy that exists is not... Now, this is not going to be favorable to you, probably. I don't say this to offend you, but I say it because it's true and because I want you to realize who the enemy actually is. The enemy is not your employer. The enemy is not a government structure. And the enemy is most certainly not your ex-wife or ex-husband. It's not. That's not the enemy. But the enemy has infiltrated all of those ranks. And then all of a sudden, when it comes to things in our life, we think that they are the enemy, which is just another great deception of the one who deceives. It's just another great deception. The enemy that is against us is very specific in power. He is not God. I told you this earlier. He is not God. The book of Isaiah says that he actually was an angel. He was a fallen angel. Angels, in and of themselves, they have a will to either follow God or not follow God. So now a rift happened. Satan himself is a fallen angel. He was created by God, but yet Satan himself doesn't create. The only thing he creates is a mess. But he's actively involved in the world that we live in. He has been since the beginning of time, and he is still today. That he is active. Though he is not all-powerful, he is powerful. Though he's not all-powerful, he's more powerful than you or I when we stand alone. He's not present everywhere, but yet Satan has demons who are active everywhere. That's the enemy. The enemy's not a person. The enemy's not something that... A, a government structure. The enemy is, is, has nothing to do with anything of creation but yet the enemy is actually involved in the world today infiltrating us the enemy is not creation or the things that have been created the enemy is satan himself so with that with that understanding let's go to our scripture we're going to read in verse 10 through 12 to start with The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on, make note of those two words, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
So first, we have to know, for us, who the enemy is. We've identified who the enemy is. And the reason why the Apostle Paul, he starts with this, with, with this sentence in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Because for us to win the war that wages over our minds and hearts, we have to be equipped. But we have to equip ourselves. We have to equip ourselves. The reason why the Apostle Paul, he says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. He doesn't say be strong in yourself and in your power because if that were the case, you would stand or sit defeated this morning. But he says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power because Satan's strategy is to divide the church. If you don't get anything else this morning, let this sink in. Satan's strategy is to divide the church, single out the saved, and oppose the gospel at all means. That's what he wants to do. He does this very creatively. He does this through our pride. He does it by thinking that we have power over situations or by causing sin up in us to invite our power into a situation that we have no power over, whether it's in our life or whether it's in community. Satan's strategy is to divide the church because if the church can be ineffective, the message of Christ will not penetrate and go out and have the far-reaching arms that God wants it to. So he wants to divide the church, not just this church, all the churches. See, capital C, it's not just Dublin Bible Church. This is all churches. If Satan can get all churches go in different directions, none of those, if none of those are, are to spread the gospel, then basically we've been deceived. And we've fallen into the trap. But then also, this, this, is, this may not directly affect you this morning, but maybe it has in the past, and quite, maybe it does for you. It's not only to divide the church, but it's also to single out the saved. Because if he can get you to think that you're all alone on an island and gets you to think, I'm not going to actually, I'm not going to go talk and get encouragement from another brother or sister in Christ, you will become ineffective. He will single you out. You may be saved and you, you could be living in the Lord. But yet if you, if you have, don't realize that the, what the strategy is, he wants to alienate you and separate you from other people. He doesn't want you to have influence over your neighbors. He doesn't want you to have influence over other people in this church. He wants to single you out. He wants you to think that you're the only one there. Because if you, if you get to the point where you're the only one there, it becomes all about you. And it, it doesn't become what the last thing is that it says on the screen. And how Satan, he, he is meant to oppose the gospel. He doesn't want the good news to get outside these walls. He wants us to just come in here and talk about it and on Sunday morning and keep it on Sunday morning and then go out on Monday morning and do whatever we want to do. That's what Satan wants us to do. But God wants us to do more than that. He wants us to say, here is the strategy of the enemy. He is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. The strategy that he has for us is to divide us, to get us going in a bunch of different directions and for us to be ineffective as the people of God. But then also, he wants you to feel like you're all alone and he wants you to believe that lie. And then at all costs, he wants to oppose furthering of the gospel. That's why Paul says in verse 10, he says, finally, getting close to the end of the book, he says, finally, he says, be strong in the Lord. 
Be strong in the Lord. Thus far, he spent six chapters of this letter and just telling me, he says, finally, he says, just be strong in the Lord. Do the things that I've told you to do. Do the things that the Bible says, that, that, that the letter has been written to you that I'm saying to do. Because if you're strong in yourself, you are going to stand defeated. But if you're strong in the Lord, and then don't forget at the last part of that verse, and he says what? Read it to me. In his mighty power. The power of the Holy Spirit that resides in the heart of a believer. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because Satan's strategy for you is to divide the church, single out the saved, and oppose the gospel. And he will cause you to, he'll attack you in in a few different areas. He will cause you to think that you have more power than what you do. He will attack you by thinking that there are certain things that you deserve in life, that it's it's about you, and that it's 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 about, you know, it's a me party, and I'm the only one invited, bring gifts to you know, to the city of me, bring it to my house, it's about me. This is what Satan wants us to do because he wants to single out the saved. He wants you to be all by yourself. He doesn't want to build up the body. He wants to, to basically build you an island and he wants you to live on it because you'd be ineffective as a father of Christ. Verse 11. I put emphasis on this earlier and I hope that you put emphasis on this in your life. He starts verse 11, he says, put on, put on. There's a Greek imperative there, literally, that means you must equip, you must put these things on. You don't have all these things just by happenstance and by accident. These things you have to put on. When you wake in the morning, put these things on. This is your guard because the enemy is lurking around every corner and he wants to devour you. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice what this does not say. It doesn't say, listen to me, it doesn't say put on the full armor of God so you can basically go against the devil yourself because you would be defeated. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It, that, is, that is basically saying you can take your stand. It isn't like marching orders, like you're going you're gonna to go into the battle. He says, just so you can take your stand for what is good and what is right and what is godly. Because the devil is a schemer. Then it says in verse 12, what I kind of mentioned earlier, For our struggle is not against flesh and bone, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is, basically, it says heavenly realms, not to confuse you, in the spiritual realms, meaning it's not of, it's not a physical realm, that the demons exist, Satan exists, he was a fallen angel, he does not have flesh, but he was a fallen angel, and now, there's a spiritual word, the world rather, that lurks in our, in, our, in our world, so to speak, that we live in. And the, the prince of darkness has invaded the community that we live in. He has invaded, he tries to invade our marriages. He tries to invade your relationships because his strategy is to divide the church and to do what else? Single out the saved and oppose the gospel. That's what he wants to do. So he says, put on these things. Verse 13. 
through 17. Paul goes through and he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the word says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So he says, you need to put on the full armor of God. Then Paul breaks it down. And he breaks it down. The first thing on the list is what? The belt of truth. Now for a Roman soldier, that we think of a belt as something that would just be a leather belt that would wrap around here that a sword would go into. In this way that, that's being mentioned, a Roman soldier, literally, the belt wouldn't just be a belt. It would be like a whole type of sash that would slide over their head. But yet, this is the important thing. It would be like a leather piece of protection for him, but yet everything else attached to it. So there's a reason why Paul chooses this language. At first, he says... Take the belt of truth. Take what you know to be true. The only thing that we know that is true this morning is the absolute truth we find in the Word of God. That is absolute truth. Everything else that happens in our life, when we read the Word of God and we decipher the Word of God and then we bring out the Word of God, a lot of times what we do is we actually bring subjective truth. We have to be careful Meaning subjective means that whatever it came out as maybe absolute truth, but it comes in and then it comes out as subjective truth, the truth that we think that it is. We need to be careful of that, especially as Christians. It's not about our truth that everything needs to be fixed to. It's the absolute truth that we find in the Word of God this morning. Flip with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians Chapter 1. It's verse 30. My goal for you this morning is is not only to be able to recognize that the enemy is at work and to take that very seriously, but then also to equip yourself. But a part of that, I want you to know what you have in Christ as well this morning. Verse 30 says this, It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So it is because of Christ that we can stand with a level of righteousness. Not that it's something that we have done, but it's because Christ stands in our place so that we take on, as the belt of truth, we take on His righteousness. That we have the ability to, to live in the reality of His holiness and to live through His redemption for His people. 
hold that. We're going to touch that in a couple minutes. Paul continued after the belt of truth, and he says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate in and of itself would basically protect the vital organs. What I love about the verse that we just read is it says that righteousness that is fixed to us is not our own righteousness because our own righteousness is self-righteousness, which is basically another trick from the enemy. But that we, that we get to basically take on the righteousness of Christ. If you've accepted Jesus Christ then it's His righteousness we live in and not our own. Not our own good deeds, not something that you've done, not an amount of money that you've given, not because you're a good person, not because you were raised in a certain part of the country. None of those things matter if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. None of those things matter. Those can be great and the world can look at you but that, and they can look at you and say, wow, they're a really good person. But I have to tell you this morning, it's the harsh truth. There's a lot of good people who are in hell today. It's not about our righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness. It's the breastplate of righteousness that we have the ability to put on, that is fixed to the belt of truth. And he says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. See, this to me is is powerful because, not that they're not all powerful, This is not literally talking about sharing the gospel. This is just talking about the peace that the word says transcends all understanding that comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says you need to to put on this peace. You need to not just have the belt of truth and the breastplate of of righteousness, but you need to to have this gospel of peace. You need to have this this peace that's... It's within you. He says, you have it in your grasp. All you have to do is live in the reality of the peace that you have because you have a walking, talking, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul mentions, he says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The wording here is very descriptive as well. And what the underlying thing is that Paul is conveying is from a Roman soldier, their feet, literally, they would take their sandals, we're not Birkenstocks, by the way, they would take sandals, and they would put nails through the sandals to, so they would at least have a grip whenever they went into battle. So Paul is saying, you know what, it's this, this readiness that you need to have fixed to your feet from the gospel of peace, because Satan will come, and you need to be fixed, you need to have a grip on, on your salvation, you need to have a grip on your heart, You need to understand what the plots of the enemy are so you can stand firm in the convictions that you have because of a relationship with Christ. Not because of your righteousness, but because of His righteousness. It's the gospel of peace. And it's because of Him the 1 Corinthians says, it's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. By ourselves this morning, we have little to offer. We have little to offer in, to go and to just counter the evil forces that lurk around us. But if we cling to the truth of God's word, 
We have power, and that comes through Christ. It becomes our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Because Satan's strategy is to divide the church. To divide the church. It's to isolate you. It's to isolate me. And it is absolutely to oppose the gospel by any means. Because if you're saved this morning and you sit back and you say, you know what, I have, I, man, I'm, I'm doing great right now. A, that's dangerous. We could talk about that later. But one thing I want you to realize with that is if you sit back and say, you know what, I'm saved. I got this all taken care of. What did Paul say in verse 11? He says, put on the full armor of God. We absolutely can be, we can be saved. We can be secure in Christ. We can have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as the Word tells us, but yet we can not live like it. We can walk around. There are many depressed Christians because they're not living in the gospel of peace. There are many Christians who fear, like the songs that we sung earlier, they fear the world around them. It's because they're not living with the gospel of peace. They're not living in reality of what Paul says, put these things on. If you're living depressed this morning, cling to the truth of God's word. If you feel like you're, you're all alone this morning, cling to the truth of God's word. Get involved with other Christians. Because chances are, if you feel alone, if you feel separated from everyone else, no one else knows it or else they would be reaching out to you. Verse 16, Paul says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which is, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Proverbs 25.2 says that God gets glory when He conceals things through us. That God gets glory when He conceals things through us because He wants us to operate by faith and not by sight. We can be learners of the Word. We also need to be doers of the Word. We can do Bible studies every day. We can pray to God every day. We can have the, a deep and intimate and close relationship with Christ. But yet, there will be things that we will not know, that we don't need to know. Because as Paul implies here, he says, take up the shield of faith. You have to operate with faith. The Roman soldiers would literally, their shields, I love this, we'll talk more about this in a couple weeks, their shields would literally lock into each other. And they were large, large shields. And they would interlock with each other because there's power when people work together. Can I get an amen? Does anybody believe that this morning? There's power when people work together. So he says, take up a shield of faith. Don't just take up my shield of faith. Brother and sister in Christ, I want you to interlock your shield with my shield because all of us can do more than what we can if we feel alone. Because Satan's strategy is to make us feel alone. It's to divide the church. He's to devour your relationships, to, to disrupt your marriage, for you to be disconnected with your kids. That's what Satan's strategy is. That is not what God wants for you. He wants you to identify who the enemy is. Then he wants you to address the things from Scripture that we can do, that we put on, that Paul says, to counter the war that rages around us. And it takes a shield of faith. We're not going to have all the answers, but we're going to have enough answers. And what we don't have answers for, 
That's when God's promises kick in. Y'all understand that this morning? When we don't have the answers, because Scripture says, Proverbs 25, 2, it says that God gets glory when He conceals things through us. We're not supposed to know everything. We're not supposed to, because He wants us to operate by faith. He wants us to operate together by faith. The language that's used there, he says, Paul says, so they can put out the flaming arrows. The reason why he uses that is because Roman soldiers, their shields were literally made out of wood, and they would dip them in water because when the flaming arrows came in and hit the shield, that it would extinguish the fire. Unfortunately, for some of us this morning, and I would venture to people who are in this room who may hear this message later on on the Internet, there are people in here not operating under faith. They operate by what they see on TV. They operate by what they hear about in the newspaper. They operate with what they see on Fox News. They operate with with what they see on CNN. That's what they operate with. Everything that they see, the world we live in is in a terrible place. Everything's terrible. But yet God says, you know what? That's why I gave you the promises. He says, I haven't turned my back on you. He says, you need to put on these things. That's why I'm telling you to put on this shield of faith. You're not going to have all the answers. I'm actually getting glory by keeping the answers from you. But that's why I gave you the promises. Especially the one that says that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's not going to turn his back on you. If you're a child of God, you're still a child of God. So not only the shield of faith, verse 17, says take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. But it says, the helmet of salvation. This is really not just talking about, hey, you need, to, you need to accept Christ. That isn't what it's talking about. It's talking about Christians living with the assurance of their salvation. Because if Satan's strategy is to basically to divide the church and to isolate you and I from, one, from, from the greater whole of the church and to oppose the gospel, if that's what he wants to do, first thing he can do is he can put a plant of seed, a plant a seed of doubt in your heart and in your mind. Are you saved or are you not saved? Well, you messed up today. You yelled at somebody and you shouldn't have. You made this mistake. Well, I accidentally stole this pen from work, so therefore I stole from my, you know, I stole from my boss, right? And that is theft. If you have like drawers of pens at home, bring them back. God will forgive you. Right? But if that's the case, and that we do these things, those are sins. And what Satan will do is, he plants a seed of doubt in you and saying, you know what? And you're a rotten person. And if you talk to people, they'd also agree with you. Right? Any takers? I don't think so. But that's what Satan will do. He'll plant a seed of doubt and say, you know what? You're not really saved. You know what? You made that decision so many years ago, but, but think about all the things you've done since then. Think about all the things, and Satan will remind you of all those things that you've done. He'll remind you, and he'll just keep coming back. Remember the time that you yelled at your kids. Remember the time that you, you said those words to your husband and wife. Remember the, the time where you blew up at work, and you lost your testimony in front of your boss. Satan will throw all these things back at you. You need to have your shield of faith on. You need to have the, the helmet of your salvation to say, you know what, I'm secure in Christ either way. Yeah, I'm, I mess up. My flesh may fail. But the line of that song that we sung earlier says, My flesh may fail, but my God never will. You know what? I will fail. We'll all fail. But that's 
one of the things that Paul addresses, and he says, put on the helmet of salvation, the assurance of your salvation. Let nothing into your mind, no, no seed of doubt come into your mind to persuade you to think something other than the truth because Satan is the enemy and he's a deceiver and he's a liar. Then it says, the sword of the Spirit. Now everything else, everything else, all these other pieces of armor are defensive weapons. Everything else has been defensive for you to stand your ground. The feet, the belt, righteousness, helmet of salvation is for you to stand your ground. That's, all of these other things are, are defensive things that, that Paul says to put on. But then he says, at the end of verse 17, he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. That's where our power comes from. Do you believe it this morning, church? But the power, you don't get the power that's talked about here by setting your Bible on the counter at home after church today, after you go home and we all get our bellies full and have a great lunch and eat too much and sit and watch football. That's probably what I'm going to do. See, the the power isn't by just setting the Word of God aside and then saying, you know what? I'm going to dust you off on Sunday morning. I'm going to come back and I'm going to do it all over again. You already stand defeated this morning. You came in the doors defeated this morning. The power and the sword of the Spirit, the offensive weapon that Paul lists in Ephesians 6, he says, you need to use this. This isn't a matter of of knowledge. This is a matter of applying the biblical principles that are talked about in this book. That is the weapon that we have to counter the father of lies, is the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to have you flip to Matthew 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. This This is Satan making this next comment. He says, For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, All this I give to you, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. 
Three different things happen in the attack of Jesus of which he did not sin. The word says in Hebrews 4.15, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way that man or woman will be tempted, but yet he did not sin. That's what the word says. So he was tempted and did not sin. He was tempted in three different, or he was tempted rather, in three different ways. At the end of verse 3, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus had not eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. He had physical needs and desires. Satan will tempt you in your physical needs and desires. More so desires than needs. He will tempt you and he will, he will have you think of yourself as about your physical desires and this is about me, right? This is a city called me and come to my house and bring stuff to me. He will make you think it's all about you. Because his plan is to oppose the gospel, to divide the church, and to isolate you. So it's a matter of physical desires that, that Christ was attacked on, and yet he did not fall to it. As a matter of fact, all three temptations here, many of you may be familiar with this, Christ answers with Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, the truth found in God's Word. The second thing, that Satan had said, he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. He's tempting Jesus with power. He says, you know what? If that's the case, just throw yourself down because remember, you're all powerful, so just throw yourself down. He says, you know, you'll be brought back up and I'm going to be able to give these things to you. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord God, the Lord your God, to the test. So he counters that lie. So it's his physical desires and his physical needs and now we see it's, it's power and authority that he's tempted with. But he's not done. The devil took him to the very high place in verse 8, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you. He was attacking his pride. He says, all of this I'll give to you. Look as far as your eyes can see. I'll give all this to you. He says, if you would just bow down and worship me. Jesus says, we worship the Lord your God and we serve Him only. Sometimes in life, it seems like all we have is, is a, a verse of promise. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like there are times in our life where you just cling to a verse. I mean, it's just like, it seems like that's all you have. And this morning, I want to implant a verse in you. It'll be on the screen. It's... <coughs> it, James 4, 7 is the one I'm talking about. And the verse says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And look at the last part of that. And he will flee from you. But the first part of that is the hinge point. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Not by your righteousness, but by the righteousness that we acquire through the blood of Christ. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Under God's authority and God's control. Trust God for your physical needs and desires. Maybe your desires should be His desires. Maybe you shouldn't have a sense of pride that you deserve something. Maybe it's just coming at the feet of Jesus saying, you know what, I want to come to you as a humble servant today. But if we submit ourselves to God, then we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. But it all starts with submitting ourselves to God. Because He's going to attack us. I've told you what a strategy is. 
I told you all the things that, that he wants to do and the things that he wants to, that he wants to basically just spread a lie. He wants to deceive you in one area. He wants to get you to think things that are not true because if he can do that, his strategy will win out. Overall, he may not be able to, if, if you've already uh, accepted Christ, there's nothing he can do about you. You walk in the truth that's found in God's word, that you're a child of God. But if he can do those other things, you won't talk to your coworkers. You won't talk to your family. You won't talk to the people that God has already given you influence in. Because that's his strategy, that's his plan. But if we submit ourselves to God, we resist the devil. How do we resist the devil? <coughs> Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. The armor of God. He says, if you do those things, you submit yourself to God, you resist the devil, he says, he will flee from you. I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know if you, if you came in here that, that you're, you feel like you're winning the battle or if you're losing the battle that rages in your heart. But I do think it's important that we always remember that there is a war raging and that we are right in the middle of it. But I can say amen to this. I've read the book. I know how the story ends. I know where the power comes from. But Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that he can redeem us individually. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that other people will come to have a relationship with him. And if we do what James 4, 7 says, submit ourselves to God and his plan and his authority, not, not operating under our pride or our desires. And if we resist the devil with the tools that are talked about in Ephesians 6. The truth lies in the last part of that verse. He will flee from us. And that, I tell you, church, is powerful. Let's pray. Father, you're an amazing God. You're a holy God. And you're a loving God. I thank you, Lord, that you're not a bully that you don't just make us do things, that you want us to follow you. You want us to embrace the sword of the Spirit. You want us to have influence with other people, that you have chosen us to share the gospel in the dark world that we live in, that you have brought us together so when the flaming arrows come into our life, that we can lock shields, Lord. And when the flaming arrows hit those shields, they will be extinguished because we'll be operating together and that we would know the strategy of the enemy. Father, I pray that you would just give us a sense of that victory this morning. Allow us to be the people that you want us to be and not to believe the lies of the enemy. And I just pray this all. And I just offer myself and everything that has been done and said, I just offer it up unto you. And it's in the holy name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.